0: Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. Today, Rebecca Brightly discusses the changing dynamics of going from Lindy Hop to motherhood and unpacks her parenting philosophy. She explains why she tolerates parkour and how the gender dynamics contrast with her experience in dance. Rebecca shares her thoughts on gender representation and why she wants women to see how capable they are. But first, if you enjoyed the podcast, please help me keep it going. Visit moversmindset.com slash support to read about becoming a voluntary supporter. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hey, Craig. Rebecca Brightley is a writer, parent, dancer, and parkour practitioner. She was well-known in the Lindy Hop community for her many articles on dance, how to start, and social issues in the community. In 2007, Rebecca took up parkour, and can now be found training outdoors when she's not writing or raising her two kids. Welcome, Rebecca.
1: Hey, Craig. How are you doing?
0: I'm great. Happy that you are here today. Awesome. Rebecca, let's start with what was it like to switch? I'm going to say switch passions, and I don't want to put mm-hmm. words in your mouth, but what was it like to switch passions to go from Lindy Hop, which you were, and I would assume still are, clearly passionate about, and then go to like what I'm going to call the mega Trump passion of having children, like you can't help but switch that passion but what's it like to look back on the thing that you loved so much and what was it like in the transition to go from one to the other
1: to go from dancing to having kids yes so what happened was i was really in the dance community and very deeply embedded really wanted to do some work in the dance community around writing and spreading ideas and then i got pregnant that was planned by the way i got pregnant and I had this idea in my head of what having a kid in the dance community would be like. I thought, you know, I'll take my kid to dances. I had a friend who would take her kid and her like little three year old to dances. And I saw it. I said to myself, I can do that. That's, yeah. That's cool. They can do that. I can do that. Um, I didn't pay as close attention to the fact that there were pretty much no other parents in the <laughs> dance community. So as you can imagine, I might have had some, wrong-headed ideas about my own ability to just follow someone else's parenting. So the reason I actually stopped is because parenting was completely overwhelming. And in Seattle, the dances all start at 9 p.m. or later, which is really not kid-friendly. And so my my kid was really high needs, and she kind of wanted mommy all the time. So, okay, so she didn't like babysitters. She kind of just liked me for about a year. My partner calls himself Uncle Paul for the first year. And then, around the time when she started walking, like they started bonding more uh, so it, it was it was really, really intensive parenting and I didn't realize that you couldn't just mold your kid like a hunk of clay, and in retrospect, that seems really silly, but all the examples of parenting I'd seen were made it look a lot easier than it was. Mm. <laughs> So that's the reason I stopped dancing, but it's not the reason I don't dance anymore, if that makes sense. Because I, I could have ask, eventually... Why haven't
0: you gone back? I mean, of course, you've, how many children do you have?
1: Two, I have two, two kids, two. so yeah.
0: But you could have gone back, and so why didn't you?
1: Uh, that is what they call a can of worms.
0: <laughs> I have a can opener. Hold on, I'll go <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, please, because it's hard to wrench open. So yeah, so the reason I didn't go back has to do with... Some issues I was trying to work on before I started dancing. And it actually links into why I find parkour more tolerable now. So in partner dancing. So I do Lindy Hop. Lindy Hop is a style of swing dancing from the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s. Originally danced in Harlem. Yeah, Craig is bopping over there. He he knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) I
0: I can't do it, but I know what you're talking about. I really like that. It starts
1: with the bouncing up and down. I
0: like that genre of music. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Very happy. I loved it. I love the dancing aspect of it. So it's partner dancing. And in partner dancing, traditionally, or in my opinion, the old fashioned way of doing it is you have a lead who's usually a man and you have a follow who's usually a woman. And the lead makes most of the decisions about the dancing and the follow goes with those decisions and doesn't, can't supersede their partner's decisions and that's the sort of
0: and not even give there's no input either it's not even you
1: it depends on who you're dancing with and what community that they learned in but yeah certainly some men do not like if you try to override their movement decisions when you're dancing with them but generally a lot of leads who are usually men so men usually learn that they should be making all the decisions and they get confused if you try to do something else that they don't understand. They find it really stressful, best case scenario. (laughs) And now things are changing a little bit, but it's so slow. But so I was trying to work on that and write about it. And I didn't go back because I just found it so intolerable. And Mm. my options were basically I could only dance with people who really listened to me or I could switch over to leading whenever I felt like having a lot of movement ideas And I just it's really hard in the social dance community to only dance with people that you feel comfortable with. And that sounds horrible to me. Because my first reaction is yeah, you
0: can't just dance with does your partner dance too?
1: Yeah, that's how we met.
0: Yeah, so oh well that's an excellent story right there. We'll come back to that, put a pin in that. But when you come around to, all right, I know I like dancing with my partner and these other two people, you, you can't be like going through the room and like oh like ignoring people. You, got, you have to be able to basically dance with anybody. Yeah. And, and like you said, even when you were leading, it even just leading didn't fulfill the issue or fix the whole.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> leading and following in Lindy Hop, they're not mirrored. They're like two different puzzle pieces that fit together in different ways. So the person who dances in the lead position, for lack of a better Word for it. They have certain types of movements associated with that position, and followers have different types of movements. So the follower will turn more and the lead will anchor more. And so I had really specialized for like nine, 10 years in dancing all the follow movements and gotten mm-hmm. really good at those. And basically, the answer from people was like, well, you just need to lead then. And I'm like, well, I can't do my swivels and my turns and all my variations. I can't do all that anymore. All the all The same movements, and it's like opposite, you know, mm. it's opposite and it's different.
0: So, you wanted a collaborative way to dance. I want to, yeah. I want to, like, I wanna like be a part, great
1: parkour a, jam. Yeah,
0: a, I want to be part A and you be part A, and your expression is this way, and yeah. my expression is that way. So, tell me a story about how you met your partner at Lindy Hop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope you cut this out, but <laughs> I, you don't
0: have to answer if you don't want to answer. I can ask you I other No,
1: I, I, it's just, it's funny, and usually people ask more questions about it, and it could be potentially a Big long tangent, but I'll try to do the short version. So, like in parkour, in Lindy Hop, there's a lot of events around the country and around the world. And actually, I would say there's probably more Lindy Hop events, and the Lindy Hop community is probably a lot bigger. So, consequently, I've probably been to about two dozen different events, um, some of them multiple times. So, the event that I met him at was in New New Orleans, and it, at that time. I forget exactly what it was called. It used to be called the Ultimate Landy Hop Showdown, but they changed the name, and I think it That's was... a great name. It was an amazing event. It's, it was still an amazing event when they changed the name and changed the location. I think it was... Anyways, we'll call it the event in New Orleans. So I met him at an event in New Orleans, and he saw me in an elevator, and I don't remember this meeting, but that was apparently when we met, and he gives me a lot of shit for it. <laughs> But we danced later at the World War Two Museum. I do remember that. But then I didn't I didn't see him. It's not like he made a move, he just noticed me. You know, that's that is a meeting someone. That's how you meet someone in dancing. Like you dance with them for three minutes and then like you might never see them again. But like technically you have met them, you may not have exchanged any more right. words other than, Do you wanna dance? Yeah. Sure.
0: Do you normally introduce first names when you do that too? Or you just You might, you yeah. Might
1: put- it's you know, there's not like a rule around it. But yeah, you might. I hmm. might do a second dance, maybe not. But then I came to Seattle to visit my family here. And I went to Century Ballroom, where the dances start at 9 o'clock, which is very late. And I probably danced with them there. And then after that dance, it's pretty customary for a group to go out and get drinks or get food because people will dance for three hours on end. And they're probably pretty hungry after that. So by midnight, they're hungry. They want food. They want drinks. And um, people just invited me out. I didn't really know anyone there. But in the Hop community, if you're pretty good at dancing and you have good, like, positive energy, people will assume you're one of them and just automatically in, invite you out. So that happened to me. He was there. He asked for my number and that's that's how things started. it's the
0: beginning of the longer story. Mm-hmm. So this may seem like I'm hopping around, but earlier you said the phrase that you tolerate parkour better yeah. than Lindy Hop. So I love your choice of word tolerate. Can you unpack why, why you would say you tolerate parkour?
1: Yeah. Well, so I don't remember the exact circumstance that we had this conversation in. But just I was offhandedly saying to someone that in terms of the way people interact on a gendered sort of spectrum, Lindy Hop is really different from parkour in one very significant way and that you don't have to physically touch anyone. And I like that in parkour, no one is pushing me. No one is pulling me. No one is trying to make me do things with their physical body. And there's other gender dynamics going on. But in Lindy Hop, that gender dynamic is really strong. And to me, it's not tolerable anymore. After like 10 years of dealing with it, I'm like, I don't think I can do this anymore. And in parkour, I don't have to deal with that. I can train with whoever I want. No one says, hey, do you want to dance? And then they have their physical body (laughs) touching mine for the next three minutes. Jump,
0: shove. (laughs) Right, right? <laughs>
1: but you can in Lindy Hop. You can lead people to jump. You can lead people to um, go horizontal, like in a dip. Right. You can move their physical bodies around. And if you try to like push back and say, "No, I don't want to do that," you know, you get that response. It's either like, weird or somebody gets you- hurt or
0: slips. Yeah, you're st-
1: yeah, and like. You know, people have different opinions on whether you should be able to like lift someone or throw them up in the air or like turn them over because like, there's partnered flips and then you yeah. have. And some of which I know how to do. You wouldn't necessarily do that with a complete stranger that you've just asked to social dance for the first time.
0: Yeah. How strong are you, are you really? I don't going to find out.
1: <laughs> but people make an assumption based on how the connection feels and how how well you're keeping up with them, whether or not you can do like a lift or a jump or like a throw they could, like, pick you up and throw you over there. And you're supposed to land on your feet, right? And, like, yeah, just blink, I'm, blink, I'm j- blink, I'm blinking. blink. <laughs> I'm kind of blinking in
0: disbelief. What? <laughs>
1: yeah, for real, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, that's, you know, Lindy Hop is very physical. So that's another similarity with parkour. But, yeah, people can, like, make you jump. and They can make you dip. And, like, they can make you do it. But nobody did, like, no men, nobody, nobody makes me do anything in parkour. So, like, that aspect of the gender ni- dynamic is completely absent, and I love it.
0: Mm. But you still use the word... You, you didn't say, I like parkour better than or Lindy or... I, yeah, I know. I yeah, said,
1: I, I love the absence of this terrible thing yeah, <laughs> that no, I don't like. That, that
0: was your explanation. But when you described it first, you said, I tolerate yeah. parkour better, which, which tells me that you are still tolerating parkour. Mm-hmm. So is there something yeah. is there something in it that makes you go... Oh,
1: eh. So I think, I think tolerating things sort of gets a bad rap, um, because... I think most people find a lot of things distasteful about the world. And I have the, I have the perspective of like, yeah, things are distasteful. And, you know, um, unless someone is like violating a boundary, I take responsibility for being like, my pet peeve is people like shutting the car door too loud. Right. So this is a little bit more than a pet peeve. It's like in parkour, there are still gender dynamics and sometimes it crosses boundaries, but like less often. Then in Lindy Hop and partner dancing, Mm. actually, that really surprised me. I wasn't sure I was even going to like the parkour community because I knew it's, you know, 80, 90 percent male, maybe 70 percent on like a really good day for me. Mm. So when I say I tolerate it better, it means like parkour isn't perfect. Like it's far from perfect in terms of like, you know, the problems in the world between like
0: if I asked you to pick like three things you wish you could change in the world parkour doesn't make the list right it's like a,
1: no yeah. yeah if I'm donating a lot of my donating if I'm if I'm spending a lot of my free time engaged in a hobby that is completely optional as a whole that hobby is way more than tolerable the hobby is freaking awesome but there might be an aspect of it where I'm like I can tolerate this yeah right. like I can live with this there's so much other good stuff right. like I can deal with like Dudes not being able to express feelings the same way and being confused about like how they express this thing like that's like that's kind of annoying. I don't really get that, but like, yeah. Or the unsolicited advice issue or you know, like those things. No one is pushing me. Thank goodness. I'm so happy, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's something that you think people will get wrong about you?
1: I'm trying to think if I should do like in the parkour context. I will you know what, there's so many things, but I'm gonna start with some that actually really bother me like here's one that really bothers me women who don't do parkour a lot of times think i'm really special or extra athletic or a natural at things um and i don't see it that way and i don't look at myself and be like oh yeah so good Oof. look at me oh my god watching my own videos all day i'm so good that's not me i don't know anyone like that but i'm certainly not doing that so when like a friend of mine who doesn't do parkour maybe they're a runner says, oh my gosh, I can never Never do do what you're doing. Yeah, everyone gets that, right? There's this extra sort of like, you are so special. Oh, like you've been moving and running and jumping around for 20 years. Oh, that's not really why. It's because you're special. And it puts extra distance between me and another person. And I feel, I know this is very normal to feel this way, but it feels like it diminishes like just how much time I spend thinking about movement -hmm. And the human body and how it works, and how much effort I put into it. And maybe I don't really show all that effort, but they don't. The misunderstanding is people also sometimes don't want to see that effort. And it hurts extra when it's women doing that to me because I really want them to be able to see how capable they are. Mm. Yeah.
0: I'm interested in how you see your role as a parent for your children. And I mean, clearly beyond the obvious, you're a parent. I mean, do you see that your role is to make sure, and I'm hesitant to put ideas in your head, that you make sure that your children are armored against certain things or to make sure that your children are capable of certain things or like whatever you do, dear daughter, don't get into Lindy hop or whatever you do. Like, I'm wondering Mm -hmm. beyond the obvious parental duties and parental dreams and goals for your children, what you might have that's particularly Rebecca-esque about it.
1: Yeah, sort of like, what's my philosophy? What am I trying to impart to them?
0: I love when guests like, yeah, dude, just ask this. So that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, obviously, I've thought about it a lot. Mm, I kind of figured. Yeah, I've had kids for like uh, almost six years now. So one of the things I tried to do, which you said a little bit, was try to make sure they know certain things. Because, you know, it'd be great to know how to cook and wipe your own butt before you go off to college. Those are great things. (laughs) I know,
0: right? I love that. It's like, no, sorry, didn't interrupt you. Keep yeah. going, please.
1: A sort of next level of thinking is really like making sure they're provided with some level of challenge because, you know, in the US and probably some other places in the world, parents are scared for their children and they want to like protect them. And it's not that I don't have that impulse, but I also want to teach them that they are inherently capable. And the only way you learn that you're inherently capable is by overcoming challenges, some of which you choose and some of which you do not choose. And I can provide those unchosen challenges. I'm happy to do that. Um, (laughs) Like, you know, getting your homework in on time or whatever. But yeah, so my philosophy is like overcoming challenges is what helps build self-confidence. In fact, my opinion is that overcoming challenges is the only thing that builds self-confidence. And you have to overcome challenges in all aspects of life, if possible, because Otherwise, you don't actually know what you're capable of, and you're just making it up. So there's this very, um, yeah, big head nod. There's this very American idea that self-esteem is just something you get within, from within. Just believe in yourself. You can find so many, like, those, like, memes on Instagram. Like, just something along the lines of just believe in yourself, right? right? Inspirational
0: background with inspirational thing in the foreground, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Just some version of just believe in yourself. And how do you come to believe in yourself? How do you know what you can do and what you're capable of unless you've tried? And if you try and you always succeed, like, do you know that you're capable of failure? Because knowing that you're capable of failure teaches you that you are capable of recovery, right? And so, like, that's really important. And it doesn't always translate one area to another. So, like, some like my teenager, she's on the climbing team now at Seattle Bouldering Project. And she went to her first, first competition last Saturday, and her goal was to get in the top 16 so that she could progress to regionals. And she didn't make the cut on her first competition ever, and she was pretty upset about it. And in my head, I'm like, I'm so sad. sorry that you're sad. She's like crying. I'm so sad for you. And I didn't necessarily say this out loud, but I'm like, I'm so happy she didn't you make the failed cut. failed on the right? first try. Because that is normal. That is the usual thing, that's probably what should be happening. You don't make it on the first try. And I'm hoping that will give her the chance to find internal motivation to continue rather than seeking the external motivation and the validation that you get with succeeding and making the cut and placing well. And then, so that's like another level of making sure that they have enough challenge to get self-confidence in different areas. Oh, I was going to say, one thing doesn't necessarily transfer to another area of life. So she may have that ability right. to be yeah. like, Oh, I failed at a competition. No biggie. But then she goes into her relationships and she's like, Oh, that person broke up with me. I'm heartbroken. I can't possibly stand this. I will I, never right. ask never anyone love out again. again. Yeah, exactly. And that can totally happen. One thing is not necessarily transferable. Like confidence over here doesn't necessarily make you confident over here. So I have to ensure that, you know, through her relationships she gets the, you know, guidance and support she needs to deal with failure, essentially. Mm-hmm. And every other area of life, because there are so many ways to fail. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And then the sort of like last layer of the, like how I raise kids philosophy is, I don't know, it's a little, okay. So the last layer of the, how I raise kids philosophy is something along the lines of making sure that they are interested enough in something and passionate about something, preferably multiple things, so that they have something to shoot for in their lives. And this relates to everything else, making sure they are capable of certain tasks, making sure that they have suffered failure and gained self-esteem from understanding that they can recover from failure. Because if they have those, then they know that they can, if they're interested and passionate about something, they can probably do it. And if they can't, no biggie, they'll switch to something else. So I've seen my teenager who we adopted sort of like beginning to get some of these foundational things like dealing with failure and being able to be competent in taking care of herself in certain ways. And consequently, like she was able to have this experience of really wanting something like I really, she's like, I really wanted to get in the top 16 so I could progress to regionals. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's an amazing experience for you to really want something and like actually be able to feel the sadness of not, not getting it instead of just pushing it away and saying, well, I didn't want that anyways. Next thing I'll just try something else.
0: This requires a, a little bit of a story first. So okay. where where I live this way, I'll talk a little bit because you're invited to ask me questions. But I have a, <laughs> I'm just I have a mountain bike which I love very much, and I have nicknamed it Beelzebub because i joke that it like i pay to maintain it and it, the only thing it wants for me is pedal like just like it just uses me to push it around and then occasionally <laughs> chucks me over the handlebars yes the guys at the bike shop are like you're weird i'm like you better believe me anyway, so because I, I was going to say me and beelzebub about out riding but that nobody but me would understand the joke so i was out riding my bike and i, I don't do crazy stuff anymore whole different encyclopedia of stories so there's a two mile trail that's like cinder trail through the woods with like a little bit of like a boardwalk bridge over a swampy area it's like Mm -hmm. really boring but i ride it back and forth all the time to like my favorite little cafe and it's my way of getting out and depending on the weather i can either walk or ride so the last few weeks, the charter school, which in my state is the, the public school, but you have, they, like it's not the public school system. It's the independently run schools, but it's like public school. We call charter schools. The charter school that's most of the, like between the two, they bring their classes out into, because it's like a little, it's also like an ecology trail. So you have to be careful. You can't go zooming through there at 25 miles an hour. You'll hit five kids before you can slow down. <laughs> so I, I come around the corner. This has happened like four or five days out of two weeks because the weather's gorgeous. And I'll find two adults, you know, like two, two hens on either end. I don't, I don't mean like that as a derogatory. I mean like, you know, there's like two guardian humans on either mm-hmm. end, like, like, you know, walking along and then there will be a string of like 20 children in the middle and they'll be doing something like the sheets and they're looking at if I plants or like. They're like looking for bugs or rocks. They're doing something. They're out actively working. So I slow down, and then I have a nice way of saying hello, you know, at a distance. And then they turn around, and then the person on the back will go, "Oh, hey, everybody, move to the right." You know, like technically, I should wait for them, but like it's like thirty kids. If I'm if I'm I'm going to launch, I need to go around. (laughs) So it's a narrow trail. I have a mountain bike, and it's a big bike because I'm a big guy. So I need to go past them on the bike. So I can usually I ride by. Sometimes if it's really tight, if we're on the bridge, I'll like either pick the bike up or wheelie it. Okay. So that's the setup. This happens all the time. Every time this happens, at least a third of the kids have no idea what to do. So like some of the kids will look and be like, I mean, I'm not a little guy and on a mountain bike, I'm like seven feet up, you know, with a helmet and they'll look at me and they go, it's a dude on a bike. I'm moving over and they just move over. And some of the kids turn around. I've actually had kids stare at the bike and like,
1: what should I do? Deer in headlights. Yeah. Like they've never but encountered now, that situation. I'm not
0: moving fast. Like I can, yeah. I can do a track stand. Like I can come a little stop and just stand there and they look at it and they're just like completely confused. I don't know if it's because I'm an enormous dude and they've never seen this big of a thing. I don't get it. Maybe they're fascinated by I'm not moving, but you might be wondering, where am I going with this? So my question is, so after like the fifth time that I've, and it's not the same kids, after the fifth time I've encountered these small children, who have no idea what to do in an unusual circumstance that they haven't, I think haven't experienced before. I begin to wonder, and there's nothing wrong with these kids. I begin to wonder like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And after the fifth time I went around them and it's no, I'm not mad at them. I'm just like, it's kids. You should see me when I was that age. Oh my God, I was a holy terror, you know? And when I go around them, I think, I wonder if maybe the parenting and because the people who are guarding them they really guard them and there's just like we're crossing the street and there's hands held in orange flags and this is like a rural area like you couldn't get hit by a car if you tried they like really like heard them and I'm thinking I mean we all everybody talks about helicopter parenting and I'm wondering people say it's bad but I'm like no my opinion I don't have children my opinion is no it's really bad because these kids are not equipped to deal with a dude on a mountain bike in the woods
1: Yeah,
0: and I'm like okay there are also black bears in these woods. I haven't ever seen one, but I've heard them. You know, like, and black bears eat blackberries. You know, so. if you
1: don't want those kids in your way, just tell the tell the adults that every time you go by, hey, you know, there yeah, are no. black bears in these woods. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. No, I don't want to be that guy. No, oh, no, no,
0: no, 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 no. I like the way you think.
1: Because honestly, I just, hadn't thought about doing I don't mean that seriously that. at all. Oh, I, I just think of how hilarious that would be in a comedy sketch.
0: So my, my question is, it's anybody <laughs> who would listen to this stuff. My question is, because it seems to me that you are someone who is really armoring, like psychologically armoring, two like precious new human beings to like. Hey, sometimes weirdos in mountain bikes are going to surprise you on a trail. And it's not even a surprise. I mean, there's like you know people are like move to the right, and the kids, say, hey, Bobby, move over. I mean, like it takes like twenty seconds of chaos to move thirty kids to the right. Yeah, and then there's three or just like what? And like, what are your? Th- this- Am Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. on crack or is this like a thing that actually happens to children who get helicopter parented or
1: how often question counter question here? How often have you been on foot when a cyclist is passing you?
0: It happens to me a lot because I okay. also walk the trail. I've walked the trail, I think, when I last looked, 447 times because I'm a whack job who counts them. I know it's four miles a round trip. I'm trying to actually walk the distance <laughs> from Hobbit Town to Mortar and back, but it's not another story. So, so there's, when a hundred, cyclist yeah. passes
1: you, there's mm-hmm. a bit of a dance, right? You're like, what is a cyclist going to do? Usually- actually,
0: there's never a dance with Craig because Craig always, <laughs> Craig always walks on the right. I have headphones in and yeah. or one out. And when I hear them, I point with my hand because I'm also a mountain bike. I point to the side I'm expecting them to pass on and they go, thank you, as they go, by but that's because Craig is so that's
1: great that's great so you have this sort of training and how you act when cyclists pass by right yeah. you have so much experience with it you point where the cyclist is supposed yes. to go I've actually I never am, seen that I used I to am, bike around a lot too usually people didn't point where oh. I was supposed to well, go well that's how you can
0: spell other mountain bikers if they point I like the thing. Yeah. I've, I've actually there. I've ridden a lot of horses on trails with pedestrians and I'm used to it. do on, sorry yeah. So
1: you're, you're navigating in a relatively complex environment with little people and they're all different. They all have their different ideas. They all want to do different things. It's not that different from being an adult on a trail where there's pedestrians and cyclists and the people are not that well trained to like stay in their lane. Have you been in cycle paths, um, pedestrians who are not that well trained to stay in their lane? You shout. <laughs> hello. Uh, and they scatter. Yeah, hello. <laughs> like, or on your left is a real common one. Yeah. I used to, I used to bike everywhere in Washington, DC, and that's like a crazy situation. I, it was, it was intense. The roads there, they don't have a lot of, or they didn't have a lot of bike lanes. So yeah, very complex environment and people are unpredictable and the kids in that situation are not unlike the adults who just don't know what to do. And I even sometimes I hear, ah, left! I'm like, is that left? <laughs> when, when, <laughs> I go to my left because I hear left. Uh, and you know, <laughs> and
0: all of the a sudden they're using your butt as a bike stand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have, um, pedestrians are also very unpredictable. I don't know if this has happened to you, but pedestrians yes. can suddenly take a step sideways. Mm-hmm. A car can only go forward. It can't <laughs> suddenly move exactly <laughs> sideways, but pedestrians, they can go in any direction. <laughs> so I have flipped over my handlebars. <laughs> Trying to avoid a pedestrian who suddenly stepped sideways in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was on a campus. And you can't be on your left, on your left, on your left, on your left.
0: On your left, 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 <laughs> right. I usually try to avoid. I'm mean, like, I, you know, if it's a heavy pedestrian area, then I try to take the bike somewhere else. I don't like ride down the main streets and stuff. But
1: So I think like there's an answer to like being trained for that particular situation. But there's also like a Neural people are moving around me and how do I respond type training that's more generalized. So you can... As a person who's been a cyclist and has been passed by cyclists, you know that you can simply point and they will probably go the direction that you told them to.
0: I'm also thinking, he's thinking over here, like we are thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So there's some specific training, but there's also a general training. And I've noticed that from my dance training, I'm pretty damn good at navigating around other people who are moving, Mm. especially if I have familiarity, if someone's on a vehicle and I have familiarity with how that vehicle moves, like I know, for example, a pedestrian can simply move sideways at any time. So if I'm running, I don't want to pass right by them like shoulder to shoulder. Cause yeah. they could step sideways at any moment. I want to give them enough clearance. So if they take that sideways step, they're not stepping into me with a bike. And a big guy in a bike—it's possible they're just looking at you like, "Wow, that's I mean, amazing! I want to do that." I've gotten it's, that look. Like, yeah. l-
0: like little girls will look up, and it's like yeah. seventy degrees. To like, they, Holy you know, what? yeah. Because when I stand up on the bike, I have to lean forward, so I'm like literally,
1: like, yeah, yeah. So You're towering <laughs> over those little kids. That it could just be such a new situation. I <laughs> haven't soleil. seen it, it blocks the sun, right? right? So it could totally be the deer in headlights. Like, what exactly is happening? So am now? I
0: helping them by providing the experience? Oh
1: yeah. You know, as so long as you're not hurting them, all different experiences you can provide kids are sometimes, potentially helpful.
0: Sometimes I actually laugh out loud. And like you can hear the, the adults <laughs> on either end just be like, oh my God, because like the kids, will, they like dance in place.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, with do a they backpack. ever do like the side thing? <laughs> yeah. Like when you're passing someone in the hall and you guys can't decide which way to go. Yeah. That's another example of the same thing. If there's not like a, a standard way that you pass someone in a hall, inevitably you're going to. You know, pass someone where you have to do the dance. Like you're negotiating this way, that way, this way, that way, Hmm. and this is this is where dancing is a really great analogy. Because, for example, Lindy Hop is really different from, say, Argentine Tango, where you move around the floor really differently, and people just move in a different way, and you have to get used to it and learn how to predict what might happen. So they might sweep their leg out and. Mm If you're not aware that people can suddenly sweep their leg out and you're real close to them and they're not aware that you're there, they should be aware that you're there if they're going to take up that space. But so yeah, everything's correct. All answers well, are not, potentially current. Not everything. If I
0: actually <laughs> ran over one of them, that would be bad. Mojo. I am I am like, you know, if necessary, I'm diving into poison ivy to avoid the small children. Um, but yeah. otherwise, I have to follow them at the small children pace for yeah, the next yeah. mile. That's not happening either.
1: But to answer like the how does parenting potentially tie into what children know to do in that situation, they can receive the like specific training. If you see a bike, stop and move to the side if you don't want to get hit, especially if it's narrow. But it gets more difficult the more different situations that you're in it's like okay if you're on a sidewalk this is what you do yeah but parents can provide that specific training and they can also provide the more general circumstances like hey you're in a weird circumstance what are you what are you gonna do like how are you gonna move around these other people that are also moving at the same time
0: a good one is like what do you do if you get separated from your parents you know like apparently it's story day. I was in Washington DC with my parents and I was probably eight and we went to maybe the national mall and we're trying to go to the zoo or something. And we got on the subway and I had never seen a subway before. I was like trains underground. Oh my God, this is so cool. And, We get, my mom and dad weren't the best at navigating together, and neither of them were Super Subway, our cities and where we lived on the subways. And we we like on the subway, and it's like, riding along, and my dad's reading the thing, and it's one of these conversations. Is it this stop or the next stop? I think it's this stop. No, it's the next stop. And the train is like, slowing down. Yeah, it's this stop. Doors open, I step out. Well, I'm not really sure. Doors shut, wake up the train. (laughs) Eight-year-old Craig standing on the platform, and we had not had the conversation like when in doubt, just wait, like just stay there. We know where we lost you. We'll be back. So my version was like, subway train zero to 45 i ran a subway train down i was like in the middle i ran to the front screaming they thought they ran over somebody the engineer stops the train the transit police (laughs) show up (laughs) my parents get off the train my mom was a wreck oh my god they finally train rolls away we're on the wrong stop it's actually the next one. so we had to wait and get on the next train and go to the next platform but (laughs) i I didn't get in trouble but then we had to talk about if you get separated just wait and find someone in a uniform Sorry. I don't know. Sometimes I tell stories. Is there anything that you were thinking on the way to the interview? I really hope we get a chance to talk about dot dot dot.
1: Yeah, I think a lot about gender dynamics in parkour, especially because I had such trouble dealing with it in Lindy Hop and like what do I like better? What is different, you know?
0: So I have a question about like, gender dynamics and
1: what do you... Yeah, <laughs> so yeah I don't know going. do you, have you had? I'm just curious. Have you had conversations with people about that? Like do you ever ask women like what's Different. Do men train differently? Explain it to me. Yes. Okay. That so yes? The,
0: the knowing, well, I, I'm trying to decide whether to let them out. Like, I, I like, mean, you don't, I, have I mean, a, yes a bag or over no. here with a, with a cat in it. I'm like, do we let the cat out of the bag? Um, well, I just
1: have some interesting observations okay, so and not necessarily like a takedown is, of anybody. I'm this just, is a, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I don't necessarily, I just have interesting observations that I find. To answer you your know.
0: question, yes. Yeah. I have had conversations with people and one of the challenges is that If we assume that the kernel of the problem comes from the male side, then I have a certain responsibility to be in those conversations. But I also think that I don't have a responsibility and I might not even have permission. It might not even be welcome. It might actually be antagonistic (laughs) Mm -hmm, for me mm -hmm. to lead conversations Mm -hmm. about solving the problem, even if we can just for a second pretend that it's all the male side that's the problem. So I have actually been working on, there's a little side project where some of us on the team have been thinking about, can we like work on this as a topic and how would we do it so that it's a movers mindset podcast Mm -hmm. and that I can facilitate conversations, but not actually be the one having the conversation. So not only have we done a little bit of it, but holy expletive, I would love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So people have some different philosophies about how, you know, gender dynamics work, There's this concept called patriarchy, which if you, you know, follow my version of feminism, affects men and women very negatively. And it basically puts, you know, men in a dominant position over women. And they're supposed to maintain these postures so that they can look strong and manly all the time. And so they're not showing weakness and that they can, you know, make more money and be all of the presidents ever and dominate the Supreme Court. They have to do all these, like, they... You're one of them, but we'll use they. Those guys over there (laughs) You can point at me directly.
0: (laughs) I probably fit 90% of the stereotypes
1: you want to Yeah, Yeah, well, anyway, yeah, because it affects all the men and all the women, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, these horrible... Like, some of them are really horrible stereotypes about needing to maintain these postures so that you do not appear weak. And lately, I've really been thinking about, like, how that affects men negatively, and obviously... Obviously I'm very familiar with the way it affects women negatively negatively, from my personal experience, but I've been trying to notice more the negative ways it affects men specifically in the parkour community and you know, in the wider world too. So I've been trying to make some observations, especially around like when, uh, when we were emailing, I mentioned like I just sort of had become more aware of the different ways men and women train. And these are like gross generalizations from my experience and from what I know, but like a really basic common one that I think everyone can agree on is like women have an easier time expressing emotion and men have a harder time expressing emotion. And under philosophy of uh, or the, um, through the lens of understanding how patriarchy affects the world, you would, you would say that, you know, men have a harder time expressing their emotions because just showing emotions is a sign of weakness, Right. And obviously there's a lot of people going to be listening to this podcast going, that's not a sign of weakness. Right. But still like these expectations and these pressures on men to be masculine, to perform masculinity still makes it harder for them. So even a guy who wants to express his emotions is going to have a harder time doing it. So training example, when I've been training a lot with women this summer, um, not exclusively, but just more because I found some, some women that I really like training with and The way we train together, it's just we do a lot more talking, talking through our mental process, talking through our fears, like showing the emotions. Like I can guess how someone is feeling a lot more easily based on her body language, a woman. And because I've had that experience a lot more this summer, training with women specifically, I have gone back to training in more mixed gender environments or training more with men. And been like, oh, that makes more sense what I'm seeing over there. For example... There are some really great male parkour athletes in the Seattle community and beginners often think when you watch parkour videos, like they got it right on the first try, right? <laughs> right. That's right, what people right, think. Yeah. Like so many beginners, even people who have been training for a couple of years will be like, that how person, do you commit yeah. to that? Well, how would you get that? And they don't know that they'd done that challenge a hundred times already, right? They don't know that they'd done all the progressions. They don't know where that person started from and right. they were deathly afraid of even doing half that jump, Right. And so, like, there's already in the media this, like, I don't want to show my failures. I don't want to show my weaknesses. And some people do. They are, you know, some men will absolutely talk more about their, their weaknesses. But it's hard because, like, that's not getting the clicks, right? That's not getting them followers. They want right. to see those big jumps, right? So even the society around us, the social media society around us, doesn't really want to see that. They're not rewarding men. For showing their weaknesses, yeah. So that's a form of you know policing and directing how men should behave, right? But even in just the training environment, I can think of some really great male parkour athletes in the community, like a few in general who just do massive, freaking scary jumps, like over, like, uh, like jumping over the death gap at Freeway Park. You know, I was there today, and I looked down. And I'm like, I'm less afraid, but I'm still not ready to even do that small jump on the side over it. Right. <laughs> And I can remember so many instances where they're just jumping over it like it's nothing, right? And as as I've gotten closer to training with people who do these things that I think are really scary, I will occasionally hear them say aloud, I am afraid. But I don't necessarily notice a change on their face or a change in their body language. I mean, I believe them when they say they're afraid, but I can't see it. I can't read it. I can't tell. And I'm thinking to myself now as I train with women more like, they can say that they're afraid, but what is it like if they can show it in their body and they're like, Whoo, oh, this is really scary. Oh, I'm really freaked out right now. Okay, I'm gonna do my breathing. Like in are like like me and the women I train with, just talking through our process. Like, I'm gonna you know what, I'm gonna do some more, I'm gonna do some more progressions. That's why I'm pretty freaked out. I'm gonna go back.
0: Yeah. And then you immediately get validation and feedback from the others. It's like, okay, you know, yeah, this yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, That's yeah, the right like, that You're making the right choice. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So when I train with women, we definitely are pushing each other. But it's not like that do or die kind of thing that, you know, some men can have. Preferably, if you want to continue on in the parkour community for any time, you're not really pushing it to the do or die level. But <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but that can that can come up. And I've definitely seen some men get in a really hyped up stage where I'm like, you don't know what mm-hmm. you're doing. Like new new guys sometimes like, get really hyped up. I'm going to do this jump. Yeah,
0: they like um, activate their sympathetic sympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. and then they use that mm-hmm. they think they're going to mm-hmm. use that energy to like now i can do it I'm like oh great turn your yeah. all your dexterity off turn your field of view off turn I'm like right, oh, right 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 yeah so yep, you're gonna yep. end badly
1: yeah and so i just i think that's like a really good example of the difference i have training with women versus men is i can't tell when dudes are afraid sometimes like sometimes i can but like the level of emotional expressiveness that dudes are allowed to have and that they have learned that it's okay for them to have is just not as high. Like I remember training the with a friend for the first time, a guy friend, it's really good. at, And we were just at a spot and he was going to do it. And he goes, gosh, I'm still really terrified of this. And then he sends it perfectly immediately after saying that. And I'm like, That is not what I would do if I were feeling terrified. So I'm having this like sort of cognitive dissonance where I'm like, I believe that he's feeling that. And also that is not being expressed in anything other than his words, not even tone of voice. Gosh, I'm still really terrified of this. Like, is that like (laughs) if you're scripting a movie, right? You're scripting a movie and you're like, Oh, act this way. And you're directing or you're directing it. Right. It's like, yeah, just state your emotion. emotion. And then do something completely opposite of that. Right? That, that's not, (laughs) that nobody expresses (laughs) emotions that way. (laughs) In parkour, it's like, I need to stay completely calm and composed at all times. And it's like, well, but that doesn't actually let other people know how you're feeling. And so like, it might be really, really hard for you to express emotions and be like, Oh, I'm really scared. Like I have a friend who said his, like, he gets really freaked out when other people are scared around him around challenges. And I was just flabbergasted because I'm like, I find that really reassuring because I know people then are taking it very seriously and they're not going to do something stupid. And like, I'm a, I'm the type of person who likes to help calm other people down. And so if I, if I see a guy who's like, Oh, I'm really scared of this jump, I'll be like, Oh, what are you scared of? I want to know. Like I'm really interested because I'm like, I don't have to do that jump. Right. (laughs) You can do it. I don't have to do it. And sometimes if I can do it, I'll be like, okay, yeah, really scared. Well, here's what I would do. And I'll just like do the, bounce back or whatever from the jump if I'm training with someone who's like closer to my jump ability or whatever. And that's hard to do if someone's not like talking through their process.
0: So continuing down the rabbit hole, Alice into Wonderland. Um, One day I like to interview someone named Alice. Why do you think there is such a difference in gender representation? In parkour, sorry.
1: It's a really good question. I've been trying to figure it out because, okay, so most of the women uh, slash non-binary slash queer people that I train with are, if, if they're not genderqueer or non-binary, they tend to be some level of gender non-conforming. And the reason for that is like parkour is, you know, mostly men and you have to push back against some very, very strong gender norms if you're a woman or a feminine presenting person in order to even like get in the door. So, like, for example, I have some dance friends still. My roommate is a, um, a dancer who teaches internationally, and he, like, brings home all kinds of people to, like, practice with and teach private lessons to, and we'll end up uh, talking afterwards sometimes. And they'll hear what I do, and I'll explain about it. We'll get to talking. I'll show a video. They'll be, like, really excited. And then they'll look at their nails and be like, well, I don't want to break a nail, you know, because this is, you know, I have to maintain this certain physical presentation for dancing, You know, I don't want to get myself scraped up because I need to look good for dancing in my skirts, right? Which is, by the way, another issue I have with Lindy Hop. Basically, you have to wear a skirt if you want to win a competition. And boy, do I have a problem with that. Anyways, that's another topic. Yeah, so like that, like you have to be willing to have these short fingernails and calluses. And like I have cuts on my wrists right now from doing cats and climb ups. Not cuts, just like scrapes. Like yeah. there's a little, little spot of blood there. Minor abrasions. Yeah. And like as a gender nonconforming slash nonbinary person, I'm like this can't. This doesn't bother me in the slightest. Mm-hmm. This is a this is part of me. These part of me hands. expressing who I am. Right. I got bruises up and down my legs from roughhousing uh, this weekend at the art of retreat, <laughs> and I'm like. Yeah, that's, that's how it is. And I have this, you know, scrape here that's just been very persistent on my wrist in terms of like leaving a red mark. Like, if you're a woman in American society, you're taught like, you got to look pretty just to be taken seriously, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to be not only willing to explore the possibility that maybe you don't have to look so pretty and perfect all the time and delicate, like you have to actually be interested also in parkour and the physicality of it. There's so many layers. And then there's like, God, for me, I've just recently unpacked some like mental limitations that I've been carrying around that I think men don't generally don't have to deal with. For example, maybe about a year ago, I was taking a class with one of my coaches and we were doing some height work. And um, like, it's really scary, right? Of course, it's really scary. But then afterwards, I was like, oh, I know I need to do that more. And there was something else going on. I wasn't just scared. I was thinking about, okay, I live here. I can come back to this exact spot and get up on that high thing and just start getting acclimated to the height. And I knew I needed to do that. And still in my brain, I was like, "Eh, don't do that. Don't do that. And I was talking with my coach afterwards. And I was like, you know, I feel like I have this voice in my head of my mom and all the moms, maybe some of the dads too, being like, get down from there. You don't belong up there. And I was like, Do you have that voice? Does that happen to you? Do you do you feel like there's like an external pressure from society? Like literally get down from there. It's dangerous. You're gonna get hurt. That's not what your type of person should be doing. And he was like, uh. You know, my, not literally. Answer, he didn't literally say that, but he, you know, was more eloquent with his no, that doesn't happen to me response.
0: My answer is also no, that doesn't happen to me. I have different pressures in my head, but yeah, I don't get that. Exactly.
1: One. Yeah. So that's that's another difference in training with women. It's like if we're all up on top of the building together then suddenly it's normal and the voice in your head being like get down from there you're going to hurt yourself oh my god i can't believe you're doing that that's not what ladies do it's quieted like we were apparently so we were training at University of Washington and there's a part where the like sidewalk kind of goes out over a building and there's like some uh, sort of like beams you can jump across on it. Underneath, there's a grate. So it's not really that scary, but technically it's the top of a building. It's technically a rooftop. And then obviously there's a drop over the last ledge. And we had um, someone from the building come out and kick us out. Like from the ground, though. So they didn't even come over to us. They're like, okay, you can't train here. That's the top of a roof. That, you know, fire codes and whatever. And we're like, okay, okay. okay. And we're like, expletive, right? Us right now. <laughs> and we were just about to film something. Mm. And so we talked about it and we're like, Okay, well she went back inside. What are the chances she's looking out the window right now? <laughs> what if we just try to film it really quick? I had my gimbal, I was gonna run behind her and we talked it over, We're like, yeah, we should just do it again. I'm not gonna do that by myself, be like, Oh yeah, I just wanna do it one more time because the voices in my head are talking and like this woman is telling me, get down from there. Like there's actually someone there trying to like police me. So we did it again. We got it. Eventually she came out again. She's like, no, you really can't do it. That like the fire code thing, that's a real thing. Like, sorry, you really can't be here. And we all left, but like we were all doing something and normalizing it together, like the three of us. Mm. And that doesn't quite happen as much when I'm training with men. Cause men have different pressures. They don't necessarily, they're not hearing that same voice in my head.
0: Is there anyone, this is what I'm just most interested in is, but you can ignore this if you like, I'm interested in your perspective more so than I am in like the particular answer that you give me. Mm. us. And I'm wondering, is there anyone in the parkour community who presents as male that you admire? And you don't have to mm-hmm. name job if you don't want mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. And I'm, what I'm really curious about is like, what about that person, which you would probably give me anyway, but what about that person makes you admire them? And then I'm going to say the exact same thing about um, someone who presents as female. I want to know if it's the same thing that you admire about the two of them or if it's you admire the Pasiko. What I'm digging yeah. for is... If you say, I really admire this male's courage and this female's courage, I'm like, cool, like, because that's the same thing. But if you mm-hmm. tell me that you really admire this male because of that, and you admire this person who presents as female for something different, mm-hmm. I'm just curious to see what your thoughts are on that.
1: It's funny you asked this question. I was recently, um, so part of what makes me non binary is I, some part of me like wishes I had like a masculine body. It's not, not to the point of gender dysphoria. So I've recently been thinking of like, well, if I did have why? a masculine okay, body, wait, wait, what, who would I want to be and why? why do you want a masculine
0: yeah. body? Like what do you, what well, do you think that, it would let you do?
1: Yeah. So that goes that goes to something else. And I, I don't want to get into that because that's really personal. But like that's just giving that as a backdrop for like why I was thinking about that because that's mm-hmm. apparently not normal for people with feminine bodies. I have asked a lot of my female friends, like, do you ever want to be in a masculine body? And, like, sometimes they'll be like, oh, God, no. Sometimes they're like, yeah, maybe for a day. And I'm like, but not, like, several days a month. Not that you can do that. Obviously, you can't do that. But, like, fantasy world. Like, okay wow, weird. I mean, my instinct this is, is to say
0: it's like a hallway pass. Yeah. So there are pl- there are things that you could get away with if you were 40% or 50% or, mm-hmm. you know, like a big dude, you can get away with things and you can just like, I don't want to deal with this bullshit that I was dealing with. I can just like put on the super coat and go wherever I want to go. Well, there's
1: some of that and there's some of like, I love think often about being in other people's skins and I want to know what that would feel like. So whether it's, it's not, there's no like one masculine body, like there's so many different kinds. And if I see someone move in a really interesting way, I have some strength, like I want to experience that. And that's just across the gender spectrum, but like there's this specific interest in masculine bodies in terms of like, I often wish I could inhabit one, not that there's anything wrong with mine. I like mine. So I've been thinking about this and I'm like, who would I want to be? Like who, if I could be, be that person who would I want to be and why, right? Yeah. There's a lot of different ways. And why? So, so one way to answer that is who would I want to be? Another way is like who inspires me? Another way is like, well, inspira- you know, I'd
0: say inspiration and admire are different things. Sometimes I ask guests, who do they admire? And they answer who inspires them. And to me. That's a different thing. When I say admire, I'm usually looking for, to me, admiration would be like I admire Max Henry, th- literally, for his ability to jump. Like, like, okay. That's so. What I'm looking for is what yeah. features of masculine and feminine do you admire in those different sides?
1: Would fe- oh yeah, that's a that feels like a really different question. So, what features of mas- masculine, masculine so like,
0: type? Yeah, so like, give me a, a feature of a masculine type that you admire and a feature of a feminine type that you admire.
1: Yeah, so that's a, that's a much nicer I mean, question. That's like I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I was like
0: just a relatively yeah shallow yeah
1: yeah 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 okay cool no. What features of like typically masculine traits do I admire versus typically feminine traits? Right. That is much much easier. So, in parkour, uh, typical like masculine traits I admire are like capacity for dynamic movement, especially in the upper body. So you have like all this upper body strength and power, and um, I've been working on that lately. But it takes so long to develop, and I have seen some women who've de- developed like quite a lot of strength and upper body power, but it's not a lot of us. I say us because I identify as non-binary, both non-binary and woman. It's not a lot of us. It is really hard to like, you know, I was working on um, dive kongs today. And I'm like measuring about how far I can dive kong on the ground. And it's not, you know, I can physically dive really far. But it's like a lot of impact on my wrists. Mm. And uh, it takes a while to develop that. And so it's not just wrists too. It's like the whole upper body chain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, yeah. It's yeah. shocking the elbow. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's it. so much. And yeah, it's just like, you have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And like, I will literally see men come to training and, you know, maybe they've been taken a few classes and their form is not so good, but they can do this impact. And like their bodies are structured in a way, this is not true of literally every male body type, but like it is more often true that men can initially take a lot more impact and do, bigger jumps and more dynamic movement. I really love dynamic movement. And I think that partly ties into my training in Lindy Hop, which was very fast and dynamic, but it's not big. It's not strength-based. It's like speed-based, speed and dynamic. So I love that style of movement. And I haven't been able to do as much of it in parkour as I could do in Lindy Hop because the movements are much bigger, you know, in parkour and more impact. So I, yeah, I admire that. Because, not specifically because you can do bigger jumps. Like, I don't just simply want a bigger dive con, right? What I specifically love is being able to use those quick, dynamic, powerful movements to do really beautiful, flowy stuff that is also quite dynamic and power-based. I think that, and really creative, that's the type of stuff I just, my jaw drops. Because I've seen so many big jump videos. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. super cool. But, like, I love the, how on earth did he think of doing that? With all that dynamic power, that's what is happening here. So I think, yeah, that's a typically masculine trait, just genetically. It's not that I can't do it, but, like, yeah, super admire that. Typical feminine trait that I admire. Um, I, We were talking about earlier that, like, process of – I would call this a stereotypically feminine trait because it's actually – men totally have the capacity to do this. Um, It's just largely trained out of them. But that way of – um talking through your process and being expressive with your feelings and sitting with other people who are having feelings and being really curious about it. Yeah. And not feeling threatened by other people's weaknesses and feelings. Like that's lovely. I really admire that. And so, yeah, like to keep that for myself. I try to, yeah, I tried to do both. Like I'm a little further behind on the like powerful dynamic movement, but I've like worked really hard on like the empathy and the listening and the expressing that I appreciate.
0: So if you could, We'll do this the easy way. Yeah. Is there a rhetorical question that you would love to ask everyone because you have a microphone and you literally can ask everybody a rhetorical question.
1: Hmm.
0: What, so the, the fish is for what, like unpack a little further. The fish is for what train of thought do you wish you could ignite in people? And you could say like, I wish people who were of this type would do the, you know, think about the following, but maybe there's a simple one that you would want everybody to begin to unpack.
1: Yeah, so like I'm really interested in mental game. And when I did Lindy Hop, I didn't have that term. When I did Lindy Hop, people have all these hang-ups. So Caitlin, the executive director of Parkour Vision, she was recently talking to me about how people are scared to do parkour. And so the name parkour has a sort of stigma attached. And what if we call it something else or something like that? And uh, and then maybe we, maybe we could just like slip it in and people won't be scared of doing parkour because they'll just be doing it. And my answer was like, yeah, people have a lot of those hang-ups about dancing too. You tell them, let's learn to do partner dancing. And something like, oh no, I have to perform in front of people. Oh, I have two left feet. People have all kinds of objections and fears. And to me, that's quite analogous to like what people feel when they hear parkour. I don't think it's all that different. So in Linnea, people have hang-ups. Like, like I said, what if I look stupid? What if I don't win the competition? What if I don't perform well? What if my partners don't like me? What if I don't like my partners? And like people come back from competitions crying because they didn't get what they wanted or they felt like the judges were not good for them. So in terms of mental game, people in parkour really focus on the physical aspect, the physical aspect, the physical aspect, like how do I bail? What do I do? What are my progressions? But I think a lot of people have other mental hangups that they don't explore, like other reasons like... I wrote um, an Instagram post recently about exploring fear of doing rail precisions. And I had just recently discovered that I'm not simply scared of falling. I don't even practice them at home very m- often on my rail trainers. Right. So like eventually I had to ask myself, why am I avoiding this? Right. Like, cause it is not scary to practice rail priest on a rail trainer. Not for me right now. Anyways. And i had to ask myself, why am I avoiding this? Because I really like it when I can do them. And that feels really good. And the answer was because I was afraid of being bad at that. And I had sort of put like a lot of pressure on myself just unwittingly. And also a little bit of like ex- external pressure because rail precisions were initially on the level one test for parkour visions to get into level two. And it's like the hardest thing on there and you got to stick two out of five at body length. And yeah, I was like, Oh my God, it's the hardest thing. Like I was told this at my very first, my very first class, my coach was like, Oh yeah. And then on the level one test, when you get there, which you will, you got to do these real precisions, two out of five body length. And I was like, that's impossible. That can never happen. And if you fail, you fail the whole test, right? Yeah. And he didn't say it that way, but that's how I heard it. Like, well, like this is really this is impossible. I have to do this impossible thing just to get to level two. It's never <laughs> going to happen. right? And so I'd put all this importance and difficulty on it. And so like I had sort of had this mental block about working through the physical fears and so I just wouldn't just wouldn't work at it at all. I'm like I don't want to be bad. I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail the level 1 test that no longer exists, but in my head that's the metric, right? Cuz <laughs> I don't want anyone to see that I can do like you know, cat back to like dive Kong out of this and, but I can't do round positions. <laughs> I <don't laughs> <know that. laughs> right? And I had some people respond like, Oh yeah, I have similar fears. And I was like, so relieved. So like the rhetorical or the question I want people to consider is like, what sort of mental hangups do you have that might be causing you to avoid working on something that you've considered working on? Is it really just that you're scared of it? Really, you're just physically scared of it. Is that the only reason or is there some other sort of excuse you have in your head where you're like, yeah, I'm afraid of looking bad or, you know, that's a movement. I I don't know. Like, I don't actually know. Maybe men think, oh, I don't want to work on flow. It feels girly or something like that. I don't actually know. I'm sure someone has had that thought at some point or women might think like, well, I don't want to work on big jumps because I can't do them. It's not that I'm afraid I just can't like, yeah, they're scary too, but I probably can't even do it anyways. You know, that's, that's another entire other layer. And if you can't get through that layer, you're not going to be able to get through to like the physical fears. Mm -hmm. Right. So you sit there and focus so hard on your physical fears. Oh, it's just, you know, very physically scary. Sometimes people won't do progressions. We'll have a new person come to Friday jumps, which is our weekly like community jam we do on Fridays of all days. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Go figure. And uh a lot of jumping too. after after a while of training, sometimes someone will like get stuck on something and will be like, Well, here's progression, here's progression, here's progression and some they'll be like, I don't wanna do that. I'm like, I do not know what is behind that. <laughs> why? <laughs> it's okay. You can do whatever you want. I'm not like judging you for that, but like the question is, why? Why don't you wanna do that?
0: I have a question I want to ask, but I think I know what, what answer you're going to give me and I want, not, I want the, the next answer after <laughs> okay, that one. Right. So what I was going to ask you is, what's something that every time will just like light you up with a smile or a laugh or like, I don't care what mood you're in when, this, when you have this thing, eat food, drink, activity, whatever, what is an event that will just light you up every time?
1: Just one thing?
0: Well, look, you can have oh a queue of them if you want to think about the first God,
1: one. one like- Literally anything? Like, I could be like, oh, this cup of tea, or yeah, it could my, be I'm, like I'm sex. expecting you to like... like it could be time. literally anything.
0: Yeah, why would there be boundaries?
1: I, I don't know, because this is a Movers Mindset podcast. <laughs>
0: oh, but I want to... Literally I hear, anything. Okay, I am a movement think. enthusiast to find Just out one thing. who they are. Well, yeah, I okay. mean, that's the challenge. The yeah. challenge is one, or is if I say give me three, does it make it easier?
1: I don't know. Maybe let me think, let me start with one. Yeah, we'll see with if one. I can mm-hmm. even think of other ones. Something that lights me up every time without fail. Yeah, ninety five percent of the time. Of okay, the time, okay,
0: okay. I like you. You're like specific.
1: Well, I have to give myself some boundaries because if you're like literally every time without fail, that's a higher metric, right. right? That's higher bar. Like lights me up with joy. Oh, I'm so happy. Or like, yeah, good. like Locked like in.
0: lights you up with joy and happiness, and you know takes you out of dark moods or takes you from a mediocre mm. meh place to this life is good.
1: I would say someone listening to me really closely and being really interested in me as a person. And there's different ways that that can happen. And I was, the very first thing that came to mind is, sorry, this betrays me, but like a really good dance with someone where they're not trying to take control, they're really just trying to listen. And that's quite analogous to a conversation where someone will hear what you're saying and then reflect it back to you in a way that shows they were really listening and they heard things that you were trying to say, even though you didn't actually say it. And you're like, Whoa, I did say that. Didn't I? Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the, when you said, take me out of a bad mood. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, well, take me out of a bad mood. All right. Mm. <laughs> like that connection you have with another person.
0: Is there a place that you want to see? So that could be like, I really want to go to this park or spot, or I really want to meet this person who lives XYZ. But like, I'm wondering where, where on here's a free plane ticket and spending cash. Where do you want to go?
1: Hmm. Okay. Let me think. There's there's a number of places. One thing I used to like about traveling around the country and the world for dancing is different communities are so different. Like I've been been to Seoul, South Korea for dancing and Sweden. And I'm trying to think. I think maybe those are the only two overseas places I've been, but then kind of all around the U.S., And I love seeing the way different communities are different. So if possible, I'd love to do like a tour of different parkour communities and just like observe and like immerse myself a little bit. And like, I'm sure some of them are like not like less than comfortable for women or feminine presenting people. But like, I just like to know, I'd like to have that experience because Seattle is like so comfortable and awesome. I've heard that like some communities have like two good parkour spots. And then how do you train when you only have like two good parkour spots and you have to drive 30 minutes to get to them? yeah, I want to know what that community's like.
0: What's the, I don't have an end goal here, but mm-hmm. what's, this This is probably gonna be hard, but what's the best training session you've ever had? And I'll leave it to you to, and you don't even have to pick it up. You don't even have to tell me what you mean by best. I'm just like, mm-hmm. what's the training session that just came to mind when I said best training session ever in parkour?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to just brown it slightly and say the best like set of training sessions. There was a really, I guess, the Parkour Visions gym closed about two years ago, mm-hmm. and I mean that was really upsetting and changed a lot of things in the parkour community for a lot of people. But I had just started training, and all I knew was training in the gym. And so, like a lot of people who were only training in the gym, did not continue training. But I had always wanted to train outside and would sort of like mess around, trying to just figure anything out and how to do anything outside because it's so different from training in a gym. So when the gym closed, I was like, "All right, it is time." to train outside and uh, I was like I'm scared but like at least there's classes I'm going to take these classes and so I you know signed up for like that two classes a week that Ian was teaching and um like it was it was like turning into winter so of course it's cold and it's wet and uh I'm like I do not know how this is gonna go but I'm gonna dress appropriately and like trust the instructor and I would say what was so amazing about that is, like, not only did I get to experience training outdoors in this, like, like weird environment for the first time, and, like, all the things that happen when you realize, like, hey, there are plants growing here in gravel, and I might slip on that or not be able to, jump like, have to avoid the plant or whatever thing, and this is broken. So I got to deal with that, which is just, like, I don't know, like, lights up my brain in so many different ways than the gym. But I also got to experience, like, training in a group of people that was, like, A bit more like mixed gender than before and like more, more mixed ability. And like um, Ian's group has been training together for a long time. So I was a newcomer to that group. And um, what I noticed is that in a gym, at least in my, from my perspective, what I was saying is again, mostly men, mostly men in parkour, mostly men in the gym, they will set up challenges that are like, you know, cause you can move the obstacles around. Usually they'll set up challenges that are like about as big as they can do. And if it's, I can't quite make it, it's like, well, will move that a little bit. Yeah, and well, now I can make it. So you can basically show off your best thing that you can do in the gym because you can move stuff, right? Can't move stuff outdoors. It's wet. It's slippery. So training with that more mixed group, with specifically that coach, instead of being afraid that I was going to be like, Look down on for my luck, little jumps, right. It was we're all kind of scared, and Ian oh. is very good at pushing everyone past the point of my comfort. It just got real <laughs> so right. like, yeah, exactly. So like not only is he really good, was he really good at like pushing people outside their comfort zones, like it's inherently uncomfortable. So like if seeing people be really uncomfortable and like specifically seeing men and women together being uncomfortable, different ages and whatnot, I was like, this is revelatory. Like this is, this is a community that I feel really comfortable in. So it, I went from like not being sure if I would be comfortable and being kind of like emotionally closed off. Cause I was like, Oh, I can't do the things that the guys can do. People would sometimes ask me how I did something, right. Cause they were kind of scared of it because it's such a different environment and there's so many different things going on that nobody can master everything. Hmm. And then we do challenges where Ian would be like, all right, we're going to climb to the top of that. Or we're gonna climb down from this to that. And I would, of course, be like, oh, that's not possible. And like in the gym, there's that, you know, you got those few guys who are like, oh yeah, I got this. I've done this a million times. But you can't have done everything a million times outside. Right. right? So we're all like, okay, well, you can, all right, so how do we, blah, 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 Rebecca, what did you just do? How'd you get, was there a handhold down there? They would ask me questions. It's very collaborative. And so that's partly his class and partly just an aspect of being outside. Like it, it sort of sucks away the bravado a mm-hmm. bit if you're training in subpar circumstances you don't get to just hook stuff right like <laughs> people have a sense of self preservation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? i'm not
0: hitting the button right <laughs>
1: <laughs> right and just to see just people being like normal people like ian will be like we're going to climb to the top and balance on there one of my friends who i think oh he's really good he's so good at parkour he'll, he'll have no trouble with this i get to the top and he's like I'm doing great. Yeah. Super great up here. You want to walk around? Nope. Good where I am. (laughs) Like, Oh, I didn't know you were scared of heights. You are a human being, right? (laughs) Right. It's very human. Yes, exactly. Very humanizing experience for all of us and like connected us a lot. So yeah, those initial training sessions were definitely, not life changing, changing, but changed my practice of parkour.
0: Mind altering or blew the doors off for your idea of what parkour could be and where it could take
1: in a community sense. Yeah, for sure.
0: So sometimes there's a very common question to say, so if you could have a time machine and go give yourself 15 years ago advice, what would it be? I prefer to ask people, let's say 10 years from now. So 10 years from now, like today, you're going to write yourself a note on an envelope, you're going to seal it up and you're going to open it 10 (laughs) years from now. What note do you send yourself 10 years in the future? God. Yes, that's my goal is oh, to man. get, if I can get guests to go, like, what <laughs> the fuck? That's what I'll, that's the ominous just that, for okay, the exasperation. So
1: it can't be advice because be like, you can do it or something, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I don't know. Maybe it would just be like a memory that I didn't want to forget. Yeah. Because, like, what could my younger self even give to my older self? That's probably it, right? When you're older, you get, The lessons that you learn, like you have to get some of them through age and experience, right? And like younger me can't tell, older me, like what's that about? Just be better, right, yeah. Right, but there's definitely some times where I'm like, what? What? Uh I don't quite remember that experience, but I remember really liking it. So if I could like record an experience that I really wanted to remember, that'd be really beautiful. And I can't do that, I am a writer, (laughs) Saw right through me, because my next question is, do you keep a journal? (laughs) I sort of do. So life has gotten a little bit uh, busier since we adopted our teenager. And um, I sometimes will write stories of events that have happened. So I write personal essays, creative nonfiction, and it's generally based around my life. And it is really hard to make a very interesting story out of things that happened to you in your own life, but it's definitely possible. So sometimes I'll just write a scene of what happened, like this person said this, I said this, I felt this their face was like that, then they went here, then they did this, ha, 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 it was funny, or it was you know, insightful, or it's just something I want to remember. Actually, your question makes me think, I really need to do that more, because that is like a gift I can give to my older self.
0: Uh, you don't know me very well, but I tend to run in <laughs> threads. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> That sounds ominous. <laughs>
0: um, no, what I was going to say was, my mind runs in threads for like weeks at a time. So I've, I've been lately thinking about shows like broadway shows or Mm off-broadway shows and my question is if you've ever seen a show any kind of performance like that what was your favorite show and and why Mm. like an in an in-person performance doesn't have to be like theater but something in person
1: yeah so i mean i used to i haven't seen a lot of theater musical theater but i did used to do some theater and musical theater when i was in high school and a little bit in college and so like, I, I have a fair amount to choose from. And I don't remember the name of the show. But like there was a small theater in Chicago that when I was taking acting classes and playwriting classes in college, our instructor took us there. And I'm like, ooh, going into the city. I'm cool. But it was like this little, little theater. And I don't remember the name of it or the name of the show. But it, it was so intimate. we were like in the like third row or something. And you could easily just walk up on the stage like it wasn't like you had to climb up there i saw rent when i was like in 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 high school and like i could barely see what was going on and i didn't know all the songs so my buddy was sitting there saying all the songs and i'm like what's happening now good thing you're singing because i don't know what they're saying i'm Mm -hmm. too far away but this was really really intimate and um i just remember thinking like a it was like it was a good show but also like how amazing that, like, I'm literally right here with these people who are acting in front of me. And it's so good. Like, yeah, it's really cool.
0: So as much as I hate to ever come to an end, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've listened to any of the episodes, but there's this thing that I always ask at the end, which is the final question, which is three words to describe your practice.
1: Yes, I have already thought of those three words. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> well, people are starting
0: to show up prepared, but that's fine too, right? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, if you ask it in the podcast, it it makes the listener also be like, oh, what are three words to describe my practice? So because my dance background, one word is technical. Very, very technical. I'm always thinking like, how do I make this smoother, better? How do I stick this stick better? Yeah. Ten years of dancing will do that to you because dance is all technical. Another word is, I would say, mindful. I'm really interested in being present with what I'm currently going through and responding to the present moment instead of the way I wish the world were. Yeah. And like dealing with emotions and thoughts that come up. Um, and parkour is a really, really great practice for that. It turns out. And of course the third word has to be fun because that's my why that's always what I bring it back to is I'm doing this because I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Not because I'm trying to impress somebody or whatever. That's because I literally enjoy doing these precisions over and over it feels good to drill this or to make this creative line or even do four by eight deadlifts (laughs) you know (laughs) like this is gonna make my jumps better i'm enjoying this (laughs) like i find a way to make it enjoyable i'm always going back to that
0: well thank you very much rebecca it was a pleasure to talk to you today
1: yeah thanks craig i was super happy to be here
0: this was episode 65 for more information, go to moversmindset.com 65. There's more to the Movers Mindset project than just this podcast. Visit our website for more free content, to join our email list, or to read about how you can support this project. And I'll leave you the final thought from Cicero. He who knows only his own generation remains always a child. Thanks for listening.